So now it is my great pleasure and honor to introduce our speaker today, the one, the only, Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron. I was getting the musicians. I said, come on, guys, let's play a song. My dad's got a barn. We'll do a show. Do you remember that from... uh, Well, a lot of you wouldn't remember it, but... (laughs) Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland. Who? I don't need to be out. Well, do we have one? Do we have a pickup? Cool. Oh, yeah, you're right. That'd have been a good idea, huh? The tuner. So anyway, these two sisters are 104 years old. And they ask him, how'd you live so long? While he's tuning the guitar, I'll tell you a little story. And they said, well, there's two reasons. This is a true story. There's two reasons. Number one, we never got married. Because we didn't want some men driving us crazy. And the other was, they said we never went to a hospital. Because there's sick people at a hospital. True in both cases. Are we tuned yet? This, you can do this in the second service. We have a little more time. Thank you, buddy. We good? We went into a restaurant. Laura and I went to have lunch yesterday at Norrish. And who's sitting there but Brian McLeod? He's holding counsel. He knew everybody in the restaurant. Working the tables. I'm sure that if there was an election going on, he would have been elected mayor or <laughs> Mater D or something. Isn't this guy amazing? This guy is just such a light. Don't you love him? I just, you know, I just treasure the moments to be able to stand here with these folks and, um, and, and do this. So, you know the song, it's come, and then we'll go into, uh, it's a roomy poem, and uh, here we go. Worshipper, lover of leaving and come, come, 
This isn't a caravan of despair And it doesn't matter if you've broken your vows A thousand times before And yet again Come again, come yet again, come Come again, come Come again, come Come again, come Come again, come And yet again, come Come, whoever you are Worshipper, the lover of leaving. Come, come, whoever you are. This isn't a caravan of despair. Come, come, whoever you are. Wonder, worshipper, the lover of leaving. And come, come, whoever you are. This isn't a caravan of despair. It doesn't matter if you've broken your vows a thousand times before and yet again come again come and yet again come come again come come again come come again Know with me in this moment. One life, one precious life, one perfect life. It is that animated force in and through and as all of life. It is in and we are immersed in it. And it is immersed in us. And so in that exchange and as we come together in celebration of song and of word and idea and consciousness, I know that each and every one of us is lifted and shifted and changed in a way that is perhaps unanticipated, perhaps new. But in this moment, I know the vibrancy the vibration of the Most High is fully realized here and now in and through and as myself. I welcome it, I invite it, and I speak and act from it. And in this knowing, in this sacred act, in this season of light, I just give thanks in gratitude and appreciation for ears to hear, for fingers to touch, for eyes to see, for mouths to smile and to sing through, for hearts to love, and for the longing, the longing for what is calling us. And so I know that that longing is answered in this moment in so many powerful, wonderful ways. 
I give thanks. I give thanks for these beautiful, amazing musicians, all of our volunteers, all of the people in service to our children for this powerful, wonderful, beautiful program that brings a message of love and of light, of truth, of possibility and opportunity into our own lives. And it, it filters out into the community in powerful, wonderful ways. So your love and your light, your shift and your change becomes a gift to everyone. For this I give thanks, knowing it is already done in the mind of the one, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you, guys. Thanks for your spontaneity. That's where I was hiding when Reverend Connie was looking for me. I said, come on, let's go do, let's do a song. I know a song we can sing. Brian did say to me the other day, we've got to learn a new song. I said, well, <laughs> probably not a bad idea. Probably not a bad idea. So let me tell you a story. Anybody like to hear a story? Okay. It's on page 43 in this great little book. It's called The Christmas Miracle. And it's a wonderful story, and I'm going to read it to you. So I will do my best to make it interesting. Because there's nothing more boring than being read to. But it's not the phone book. It's actually a story, and it's it's a Christmas story. So it begins, as most stories do, with Once Upon a Time. I've heard that before. Once upon a time, there was a poor baker. He's a Dutch baker. He never had enough money to buy food, and each winter, the baker's problems got worse. When the temperature fell, people stayed home and didn't buy bread. Sound familiar? One December night, the wind was blowing strong, and not a single person had come that day. What will I do, the baker muttered. It's getting late, so he locked the bakery door, and then he started home. Every day, the baker skated along an icy canal to get to the bakery. I will carry the leftover bread home to my wife, he thought. It will have to be enough for us to eat. He walked slowly to the frozen canal with his teeth chattering the whole way. When he got there, he saw the local farmer passing by. The farmer had had a bad day at the market, too. He had hoped to sell the apples from his tiny orchard. But by the end of the day, he had sold only ten. He had to bring a sack full of apples home so they wouldn't go bad in the frost. And this made him sad. He needed guilders, small Dutch coins, to buy medicine for his daughter, who was very sick. The baker and the farmer were the only two men on the ice. They fell into step naturally and skated together down the canal. Before long, another man showed up. As he skated toward the baker and the farmer, he thought about the long day he had had. The new skater was a talented weaver on his way home from the marketplace, too. He made warm blankets and pretty coats. But no one could buy the weaver's goods. They cost too much. Most people in the small Dutch town made do with what they had. They rarely bought new things. The weaver had wanted to make enough to buy his old father the lemon tea he liked so much, but all the weaver had was blankets, and like the other two men, he had no money. Because he wanted company, the weaver joined the baker and the farmer. A cold, sharp wind ripped at the men as they skated. So they lowered their heads to protect themselves from the cold. They listened to the wind blowing through the trees on the side of the canal. The whining of the wind seemed to get louder and louder. It became so strong that it sounded like a baby crying. The farmer saw an old deserted stable in the distance. He had fond memories of playing there when he was a boy, but that was many, many years ago. Now the stable was in ruins. The farmer realized that the crying sound was not the wind. It was coming from inside the stable. That can't be, he thought out loud. No one has been in that stable for years. Do you think the crying is coming from over there, asked the baker. He had been thinking the very same thing as the farmer. Let's go see, said the weaver. And the weaver bled the baker and the farmer across the ice and up the hill to the stable. When they reached the door, the men looked inside. They could not believe their eyes. A young woman sat on the floor holding a baby boy in her arms. 
It had been the baby making the noise, not the wind. A man sat next to them on a crate. He held his head in his hands, looking very sad. What are you doing here, asked the baker. This is no place for a family. It's much too cold. You can't stay here. The man replied, we are traveling through Amsterdam on our way to visit relatives. It got so dark and cold we had to find shelter. The farmer turned to look at the young woman and the baby who was now fast asleep. What will you eat, the farmer asked. When he looked at the peaceful boy, he immediately thought of his sick daughter at home. We have nothing, replied the young man. Here, the baker exclaimed suddenly, take this bread. It's not much, but you need it more than I do. One by one, the men took their sacks and emptied them in front of the women and the child. They stacked the bread, the apples, and the blankets in neat piles on the floor. The family looked at, looked at the men in awe. My prayers have been answered, cried the woman. Our son was so hungry and cold. We will not forget your kindness, but we can never repay you. She ex explained, we're very poor. We understand, replied the men. And during the short time the men were in the stable, the wind had died down. A light snow began to fall. Each man had a warm feeling inside. Their thoughts and their bags did not weigh them down anymore. They skated together like good friends. Maybe our luck will be better tomorrow at the marketplace, said the baker. But the men's luck would change sooner than tomorrow. They, as they skated towards home, the men felt the sacks on their backs getting heavier, as if they were filling up. The snow must be falling hard, the man thought. I, can't, I can feel it falling in my bag. When the baker reached his house and left the others, he saw that his bag was fat and bulging. Merry Christmas, he said to his new friends. The farmer and the weaver came back at him as he walked towards his house. And then the baker removed his skates and trudged along through the heavy snow. And when he arrived home, he opened his front door. Only then did he see that his bag was bulging. But not with snow, as he had thought. The bag was bursting with gold coins and food of all sorts. There was even a silk scarf for his wife and toys for his children. My, the market must have been very busy today, said the baker's wife. How can we afford all these wonderful gifts? The baker could not explain the wonderful gifts. He just shook his head and said, I guess we deserve them, dear. At that moment, the baker knew that when his friends got home, they would find their bags filled with gifts, too. And they did. When the farmer reached his house, he turned to the weaver and said, I hope we all meet on the canal again. Merry Christmas, said the weaver. And then the farmer went into his house. And then he realized why his bag felt so full. It held many guilders and enough medicine to cure his daughter. The weaver found the same fortune upon his return home. His bag was full of the lemon tea his father loved so much. For their kindness, the baker... The weaver and the farmer had found more than good luck. They had found a miracle. So it's a simple little children's story about really what we teach in our teaching, a shift in perception. That, that when we, and let me expand on that a little bit. So we teach this form of prayer, affirmative prayer. And it's really about understanding where we are, and, and because we are a, a metaphysical and mystical teaching, our belief is that thought, our thought is how we create. Dr. Ernest Holmes, our founder, had this to say in, in Mind and Success, a wonderful little book by Dr. Holmes. We have this law in our hands to do with it as we will. We can draw what we want only as we let go of old order and take up the new. And this we must do to the exclusion of all else. So these men, have, they, all, they all started the day with intentions. The baker wanted to sell bread. 
so that he would have something to take home to his family. And he didn't sell any bread, but he realized, okay, I've got this bread, which will have to be enough for my wife and myself. And the farmer had the apples. He sold 10 apples. And he wanted to buy medicine for his, his daughter. And the weaver wanted to bring home the lemon tea for, that his father loved so much. So they all had these intentions. And they're all good. Nothing wrong with any of those intentions. And so they're, they're, they're on their journey. They, they come together. Isn't it interesting that there's three of them They come together in relationship? As it says in Scripture, where two or more are gathered, there I am. And so they have this experience together. And as they enter that, the, the farmhouse, all of a sudden the, it shifts from their own sense of sadness and disappointment, which is true for all of us, all of a sudden into this opportunity to share the little they have with another. And it's in the sharing, it is in the generosity of spirit that consciousness is shifted. Dr. Ernest Holmes calls it, he calls generosity grace. He believes that the Christian terminology of, of of generosity is, is better defined as grace. He says, we need to believe in the grace of God, the divine givingness, but we must recognize that the divine givingness can mean nothing to us until there is a takingness, a takingness on our part. It requires our participation in it. It requires our taking that information, that divine impress, and utilizing it some way in the world or within ourselves. Grace is the givingness of life, Dr. Holmes said, and that certainly is given automatically, but we are only saved by using it. You notice how I planted that musical interlude in the middle of that? <laughs> this is just working beautifully today. The, the choreography of this is exquisite. But we, we are... Only saved by using it. The self must raise the self by the self because the self is God. Good news, bad news. We have to do the work. We have to do the work. No one can do the work for us. But what we can do is we can immerse ourselves, we can expose ourselves to possibility, to ideas. And that that depth of idea. And then we become the gift in this season of gifts. God, nature, the universe withholds nothing from anyone. Withholds nothing from anyone. It is all delivered. This is what I interpret as the Christian theology of grace. Not grace because Jesus was a nice guy. But I, I never met him, but I, I hear he was a really nice guy. Dr. Holmes said that is weakness. Grace because the universe is itself an infinite givingness. It can't help it. That as its nature and because it is our own experience, only the one who gives all. Who gets all. So these three individuals, they gave everything they had, which opened them up, which cleared the space, but it also lifted them up in consciousness because when we're, we're generous, when we're appreciative, all of a sudden we open ourselves. Those of you that have gone through Prosperity Plus with me, we talk about it over and over again. The principle, it activates. It activates that, that, that level of consciousness that's powerful and amazing. What would we do in our lives? And, and what's, it's so important. It's so important that we, we open ourselves up to that, that we receive all of our gifts. My teacher used to say that each one of us has this divine bank account that we can allow into our lives. And if we don't accept it, it goes on the scrap heap. It doesn't go to someone else. No one else can have your good. But I think it's, 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 it's very important in the, in the time that we live that all of us identify 
through that, that divine relationship, our gifts and our talents, and find ways to share that with the world. And it's counterintuitive. In a world where you know, financial markets are in flux and, and a lot of the things that we look at are, are, are shifting and changing. But that's all the world of effect. There's a, there's a global crash in the economy right now which is a reflection of consciousness. It is the morbid use of this infinite principle. It's the use of the principle at a very low level of consciousness when we see things in this disarray and disorder. And when we become aberrant in our, in our, our, our gathering, aberrant gather, gatherers, it's the system's way of bringing us back into harmony. Because there's nothing wrong with stuff. Stuff's just stuff. It's the consciousness upon the stuff. And so here there's this simple little tale of the farmer, the baker, and the weaver. And they're disappointed. Their global economy sucks. And all of a sudden, something comes along, someone comes along and says, I can use your help. We put our intentional giving invitations to people in, in the program. And, 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 and I, I'm always excited about this because I love what we do. I love what we offer the world. But we're, we're self-supporting. We are a community. We are a family. And if we don't pay our bills and if we don't support our programs, no one comes in and says, here you go. But what I know is that if I don't ask, not just you, but ask myself, what must shift and change? Nothing can show up. And where am I in, the, in that restriction of the flow of life? Well, I love this teaching. It is precious to me. I shared at the first service over nine years ago. I received packet after packet. I was on the candidating list for ministers, and I was in a small community, but I knew that I wanted to, to do this in a, in a way that, that it could support me. I mean, to be able to do this full-time is such an honor. It's such a privilege. It's unique and wonderful. Most of our communities are very small. Most of our communities, the minister works a full-time job and then comes in on Sunday. I did that. I did that for almost six years. But I wanted the opportunity to, to really grow and to pour myself into this and see what wanted to happen. And so that's the kind of community that we have here. And that's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's powerful. And so I look at the opportunities. One of the things we've been doing this year is we've been supporting our, our, our mothership, our, our larger community. We tithe every month a substantial amount of money because I said if we want people to tithe in this community, we need to be tithing. We need to be giving one-tenth of our good back to the organization to support this teaching, this spread of this, this possibility. It's powerful and it's wonderful. It's life-changing. It ties in with so much of what's happening in the world. It's purposeful and meaningful. And so to have this, this teaching and to have the perception and, and to be able to shift our perception about... Mark Nepo writes about it in the Book of Awakening, which I, I used as the book of the year. And in the December 1st, there's a phrase. He says, and he's talking about the journey of life. Very often we define ourselves by what we want or dream of. I want to be an actor or a musician or a president or a grandmother. I dream of being famous, of going down in history, of being a hero or a heroine. Yet when our lives shape, uh, but our lives shape us differently. We often think we have failed, that we are settling for less because we weren't good enough to become or have what we wanted. And it's very easy to fall into that trap. What I'm here to share with you and to remind myself of is that we do, what we, we do the best we can where we are at any given moment, and it's always right and perfect. And it doesn't feel like that because we started out with a different roadmap. He continues, certainly as we experience our limitations, 
This sometimes feels true, yet even through our limitations, we evolve rather than fail. We evolve rather than, it's part of our evolution, it's part of how we're hardwired. So what feels like failure is part of the evolution. Most of my great teachers and influences I shared at the first service have been people in my life that have, that have told me that I'm wrong. Most people that have come into my life, I had seven sisters. I grew up with seven sisters basically telling me every day what I was doing wrong. I have sisters that wouldn't dream of, I used to send them the science of my textbook, send them all these great books, and then I'd see them a year later and I knew they hadn't read any of it. They just threw it away because I was so excited about what I'd found. They didn't want any of that. They're still praying for me that I come back to the, you know, to the true religion. And so the message that you get is you're wrong. And it's not about me being right and them being wrong. But most of us have had those influences in our lives. I can go on and on. I was, I was reflecting on this over the last couple of days. And what Dr. Holmes has to say about this and why I think this, this teaching has been so precious for me is that he talks about our philosophy and he talks about what it requires. This is not for the, the spiritually meek in a, in a sense, although meekness has its place in the world. He, Holmes says this in Creative Mind and Success on page 19. This is no weak person's job, but an undertaking for a strong, self-reliant soul. And the end is worth the effort. A strong, self-reliant soul. But if you don't know who you are, if you don't know whose you are, when the, the people that love you the most in your life come up and keep telling you, you got it wrong, you believe it. You buy into it. And then where, do you, where does that take you? Because as soon as I, I, I wrap myself around their belief that I'm not good enough and I'm not doing the right thing and I change everything about me so that I can please them, and I say, God, I'm glad I got that done. Now what are we going to do? Then they find something else that's wrong because that's their job. All of us have work to do. All of us have work to do, myself included. The reason I know this is because I'm still breathing. When I get her done, I won't be here anymore. And, and maybe I won't have it done when I'm not here anymore, so who knows. But all I can do is, all I can do is live today. But, but most of us have been influenced by that our whole lives. And so it's developing the awareness and the ability to shift perception. It's the ability to have practices in our lives that lift us out of that, that sort of morbid use of the law. This is, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not measuring up, how can I please, how can I please, how can I please? To say, you know what? I've done everything I can. I've done the best I could with what I had available. This is me. And when we can, when we can honor ourselves, this is what Holmes talks about, a strong, self-reliant soul, not in arrogance, but to simply say, did you do the best you could? Yeah, I could. I did. You know, I was 80% that day. I gave 80%. I was at 50% that day. I gave 50%. I gave everything I had. As Holmes said earlier, it's all, it requires all of us. The person who can keep their thought one-pointed is the one who obtained the best results. One-pointed. What does he mean by that? He says it does not imply the necessity of strain or anything of a strenuous nature. 
Because when I say that, I know that some of you go, oh man, more stuff to do. (sighs) I'm already maxed out here. It does not imply the necessity of strain or anything of a strenuous nature. On the contrary, strain is just what we must avoid. When we know that there is but one power, we shall not struggle. We shall know, and in calmness, we shall see only what we know must be the truth. This means a persistent, firm determination to think what we want to think. To think what we want to think, regardless of outer evidence to the contrary. And that takes awareness. That takes the ability to slow down and realize that, am I living my life? Am I answering my call? Or am I still trying to please people that are not even in my life anymore? And they're wonderful people. I'm not making them bad and wrong. This is our nature. You know, we all have work to do. One of the things that is really important to understand is all of us get to decide who we're going to do the work with. Just because someone comes up to you and says, you know, you're, you're so-and-so, doesn't mean then that person becomes the person we do the work with. Because chances are, if they identify that in you, they, they, they point at you and say, there's a quality in you that I see. All they're doing is reflecting the quality that's alive in them. Because all the qualities are alive in us. And that's not bad or wrong either. But... It doesn't mean that that person that's pointing the finger at you and saying, you've got to fix this, this isn't right, is the one you do the work with. And I think for myself, a lot of times I think, oh, okay, well, you've identified it, now help me get out of it. They don't have a clue how to get out of it most of the time. They're stuck in it with you. You spot it, you got it, as my teacher used to say. So it requires the wisdom and the discernment. To, you want somebody that's grounded in their spiritual practice. I sat down with someone this last week and they did a practitioner session with them. And practitioner session, if you don't know what it is, it's a prayer session. Someone comes in and says, I, I want a bigger idea, a bigger experience in my life, or I want, to, I want to shift and change this. And so we sat down and we did a prayer for about 25 minutes. And I haven't done one in a long time with someone. But he booked an appointment, he came in and we prayed. And at the end of it, he opened his eyes and said, that was amazing. I said, Yeah. It was as as amazing for me as it was for him. But two people came together with an intention and it became a sacred space. And we we prayed in that vibrancy. And that vibrancy is what you experience when you come on a Sunday. The music and the fellowship and the the prayer work. Last week we did our, I want to thank, before I go any farther, I want to thank Danny Bonco for helping pull together our potluck last week. It was great. It's a wonderful experience. And wonderful to get together and just have some food. And I talked about our theme. Talked about our theme for the year. In everything, Holmes says, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. An attitude of gratitude is most salutary and bespeaks the realization that we are now in heaven. See, gratitude shifts us into that state of divine connection with heaven. How we love to do for those who cooperate with and are grateful for our small endeavors. Gratitude is one of the chief graces of human existence and is crowned in heaven with a consciousness of unity. That's the pathway. So in this season of light, in this, in this, this Christmas season, one of the portals that we can all find, we can all find things to be grateful for, not because we should. No more shooting on yourselves, Okay? That could be part of your BS. BS is belief system. I don't want you thinking it's something else. 
could be part of your belief system. But what wants to happen in your life? What, what wants to happen? I, I, I love that question. What wants to happen here? What wants to be given birth here? And as we wake up, see, one of the traps that I've noticed for myself, I don't know if it's true for anybody else, there's a difference between being spiritually awake and being spiritually comfortable. And I watch it. I watch it within our movement, and I watch it within the culture. Like Holmes said, but if we understand, if we always stand on that green edge of growing, and we're willing to, to keep working the gratitude and the appreciation and affirming and moving in the direction that we're called to do, it's a bit uncomfortable at times because it stretches us. And my experience has been most people don't want to be spiritually awake. They prefer to be spiritually comfortable, which is I've got my affirmative prayer. I know who I am, and I'm doing my spiritual practice, and it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. People typically come through the doors in so much pain that once the pain stops, they feel like they've arrived. We've all had pain. I know what your life's been like. I know, you know, I, I was so, I so bought into the idea that I wasn't good enough, that I was wrong, that I actually gave up everything. I had no money and I traveled to California and I was going to be the famous actor because then that would bring me home to who and what I was. And the great thing was I had enough experience with it and I had some success with it to realize that once I started working and doing this, nothing changed. The consciousness hadn't changed. And then I went, holy cow, I thought this would be the answer. It wasn't the answer. It made things worse. And that's, what it, what, that's not what my soul was calling me to. But it, and so I could, I could call it a failure. What I've said many, many times before is it was, my, it, was my, um, it was my dream, but it wasn't my calling. And did I, did, I, did I achieve all the things I wanted to achieve? No, but I achieved the things that were most important for me to achieve so I could have the new awareness to move on. Mark Nepo talks about that as a young man in his book. He said, I wanted to be a basketball player. And I played basketball in high school and college, and some of my limitations were hidden in my sophomore year in college. I, just, I, I knew I couldn't compete. So he, he became a poet, and for 18 years he wrote, wrote, wrote poetry, beautiful poetry. This whole book is a book of poetry. And then cancer showed up. And the cancer cracked him open. So he started to write from that, not from that egoic self, but from that spiritual sense of being because the cancer drove him deeper and deeper into who and what he was. So ours is a, is a teaching that is, is rich and deep and, and to, to dig deeply and to go deeply. And so the, the gift, it's wonderful that we are a group of people that your depth supports my depth. And as you do the work and I do the work, we continue to nurture that relationship so that what wants to happen can show up. Otherwise, we stay locked in that, 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 those ideas that are wonderful but may limit us. They may, it may be really good, but it limits our great. We're, here, we're not here by divine uh, accident. We're here by divine purpose. And, and for each and every one of us to continue to do the work and realize that none of it is a failure, all of it is important to have the experience, to have the the things that cause us to shift perception. This little fairy tale that I, I read to you today. Those fellows had, they started out all with an intention and all of a sudden their intention, they got into a bigger idea, a bigger possibility. We're here to change the world. And we do it one thought at a time, one prayer at a time, one breath at a time. What wants to happen here by means of you and me? Nine, ten years ago, I, they, they sent me the prospectus for this, this job. I threw it in the trash can on four different occasions. Why do I want to go to? It's cold up there, I think. 
I knew that. I grew up in Minnesota. Oh, thank God. You think it's cold here? You should go there. And mosquitoes, they're three times bigger there. <laughs> you know, it all gets bigger. That was my dad, you know. The story, the size would increase. The degrees would get colder and warmer. And, uh, but, but the point is that at some point in time, the call and, the, and that doorway opened, and I realized that it was an opportunity to walk through the doorway. It was an opportunity to step into this with you and do the work together to give birth to something. The only thing that has ever shifted and changed on this planet is a small group of people that believe in something. And, and the world needs your consciousness. The world needs your love, your light, your gifts, and your talents. And that's what we stand for. This is a precious, powerful teaching. I don't know where I would be without this teaching. And so I'm, I'm very, very proud and, and comfortable to say we're, 2012, I think, will be like, it, it always is, like no other year. What wants to happen here? What is the evolution? What can we put down, you and I put down, so that a new order can, can show up? That's our teaching. That's our teaching. Someone said to me, and what mentor said to me this year, James Golden was here, and he said, you know, the problem with ministry is you start to become identified as a minister. And I thought, yeah, you know, that's true. When I was, a, when I was an aspiring actor, when, when I was a, a carpenter, you know, you take on those identifications, but we're so much more than that. And, and those are simply ideas that can limit us at times. So much more than that. So in this season of, of light, this season of giving, the gift that we can give ourselves is that true self. And as we shift our perception, we're then able to allow greater good. The paradox is as we open up and we're more generous, more, more generosity floods into our lives. That's been my experience. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. You know, this teaching will always be on this planet. Will it be in this form? I don't know. You know, all we have is today. All we have is today and a bigger idea shows up and a bigger, different way to do this. And let's do that. Let's do that. But this is what we have. And, and so I love, I love this community and I'm, and I'm biased. I love this tradition. I love all my teachers. I love all the people. I love all the people in my life that have spent their whole life dedicated to getting me fixed. Because I wouldn't be here without them. I mean, I really believed him. And he still keeps showing up. You got, you got more work to do. You got more work to do. Who, me? How could I possibly have more work to do? Look at me. We all do. We all do. It's the nature of life. It's just their stuff. And so, but it, I want to shift it. The things that I want to shift and change into a perception and into a perspective that allow a greater good to be expressed. The greater good to be expressed. And I want that for you as well. Because I know that life's been hard sometimes. Life's been tough. So when that starts to happen for you, take a deep breath. Realize you've done everything you possibly could. The best way you knew how in the moment. I need to honor that. Doesn't mean that you couldn't have done things differently. You, couldn't, you could have improved on them. But it does no good to go back over and reminisce about all the, the, the failings and the people that have, are so ready, willing, and able to, to point your flaws out to you. You've got to bless them and love them. Say, thank you so much for sharing. God, what would I be without you? I'm a work in progress. Keep praying for me. Keep praying for me. That's what we can do for one another. One of my, my teachers used to say that all the time. Every time I'd bring a complaint to her, she'd look at me and say, pray for him. Oh, that's right. We're in the pray business for God. Pray for them. Because whatever we're really doing when we're praying for somebody else, we're praying for ourselves. We're shifting our consciousness. 
So in this season of light, whatever your perceptions are, whether it's the apples or it's the blankets or it's the bread and the intention you've set, what, what, what shift is wanting to happen for you? What shift is wanting to happen for me? I mean, this is it. doesn't get any better than this. This is a wonderful, wonderful thing. As Dr. Holmes said, and as I started out, we have this law in our hands to do with it as we will. I love Christmas because it's the season of kids. Remember Skylar? I don't know if you were here last week. Skylar came up. The teens were here, and I brought Skylar up. Well, Skylar, I didn't know what surgery he was having, but this young man, if you weren't here, had his surgery postponed five times. And I don't know how old Skylar is. He's probably 12, somewhere in there, 10 to 12. or He's got to be 12 to be a teen. 12? He's 12. Five times postponed. He would go to the hospital and he'd get there in the morning and they'd say, we don't have a bed for you, go home. You know, I don't know about you, when I was 12 years old, somebody said I was going to have surgery. I'd be thinking about it for a few days. And then I'd get there and of course, the, the, uh, you know, probably elated he got to go home. But I mean, the whole buildup and then the, the letdown. But anyway, Skylar had his surgery on Monday. And I didn't realize this, but he had heart surgery. And they replaced valves. And when he stood up here, each service, they were doing the affirmative prayer. Skylar's knowing for himself as he was supported. And, and I realized that at second service, when I heard him say it again, he, he really was looking for support. And so we were able to ask everyone as we brought him, I brought him up at the end and we, and we included him in our prayer work and set an intention for him and knew the highest and best for him. So he had a surgery on Monday and he's just blown the, the, the doctors away with heart surgery. He was up and running around a day and a half later. He, he went home yesterday doing great they're just blown away by the progress and the, and the healing and, the, and the, his his level of, uh, of of energy but it's just beautiful to be able to come together and affirm that and know that and, and hold a high watch for him in that single pointedness we have this law in our hands to do with it as we will so what will you do with it and what will i do with it now is the perfect moment now is the perfect time so it is